1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and member FDIC.
0: Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy.
1: Movie therapy. I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday.
0: And I am Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. In each episode of Movie Therapy, Rafer, you and I offer up questionable advice and pretty good TV and film recommendations for whatever ails you.
1: That's right. As usual, a disclaimer, we are not real therapists, but we are licensed movie and TV critics (laughs) by the state of New York.
0: Yes, yes, we are. I am holding my license right now. In my hand, and I am not going to put it down for the rest of this taping, this license is in my hand, being held to the sky right now.
1: That license appears to be invisible. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Okay. Let's, (laughs) Let's get to this week's letters.
0: Yes. Our first letter is from someone who's asked that we call her Katrina Hopscotch. Katrina writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, for most of my life, I lived in larger cities where I could rely on public transit. So having a license wasn't a major issue. The older I got, the more shame, fear, and anxiety I felt about learning how to drive as an adult when most people learned as teenagers. But a few months ago, I finally decided to no longer let my shame drive my decisions, pun intended. I took lessons with a really great adult driving school, and as of today, I have earned my first driver's license at the age of 31. I would love some recommendations of movies or shows that really celebrate the open road and can help me consider how my world can open up through driving. I'm still building my confidence, though, so please, no movies with any kind of car-related violence, crashes, murders, etc. Thank you both for your marvelous podcast that brings me so much joy and inspiration.
1: Well, you're welcome, Katrina Hopscotch. You asked us to call you Katrina Hopscotch, and I will gladly call anyone who asks Katrina Hopscotch. It's a a great name. It's a great name. Yeah, it's fantastic.
0: Reefer, how old were you when you learned how to drive?
1: I'm pretty sure I I learned how to drive as soon as I possibly could. I went to driver's ed um, at my high school, and um, at 15 and a half, I had my learner's permit and you know the minute i the minute i could do it i i i tried to do it uh i lived in i grew up in the la area so to not have a car was pretty limiting you know there's only so far at least back then there was only so far you could get on the bus and you know a bike is great when you're 9 or 10 years old but after a while um you know you really find out in the suburbs that your 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 boundaries are pretty limited so having a car was great life changing you know you could go out to the city go to LA <laughs> go to Hollywood i mean you know it was it was fantastic how about you
0: i learned to drive also when i was 15 and i got my license i think it may have actually been on my 16th birthday i may have gotten it which was a very common thing to do oh yeah at least in the circles i ran in in minnesota growing up but as you know, Rafer, I have never owned a car in my whole life. I think I've told this too many times. I've never owned a car. Uh, my husband has a car now. He got one recently, but... Oh, he, oh, your husband has a car. Yes. Dean has one now, and he had one in the past as well. But I've never owned a car in my life. I've mostly relied on mass transit. Even when I got my driver's license, I mostly used it to fill up my nana's gas tank once a week at the Amoco by her house and watch the windows for her. Okay. Yeah, I don't really drive very often. You know, listen, I've got two New York City kids. I always wonder
1: if they're going to drive as teenagers or if there's just going to be no reason for them to. Like, are they going to be one of these kids just like our listener who gets to be in their 20s or 30s or even 40s and they just don't drive because why would you? I mean, I guess it depends on where they move, but I don't, I don't know. It's interesting.
0: That's a lot of New York kids. And frankly, it's a lot of kids nationwide in the last decade. The, um, attainment of driver's licenses over the past decade has gone down with teenagers. And I think part of that's because Teenagers don't need a car to hang out anymore. They can, you know, play Fortnite and six of their friends can be playing with them. Or right. they can be socializing online in other ways with each other. And the urgency to get the driver's license, is it's just not what it used to be. They can have all sorts of secret worlds online with their friends and get up to no good without a car now if they want, right? I didn't
1: know that the, uh, that, 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 that was true. I didn't know that the teenage driving rate was
0: down. Oh, yeah. Interesting. It's down. And my own niece and nephew, old enough to drive. Neither of them have a license, even though they're in freaking Arizona. Interesting. You know, what else is down
1: is the teenage pregnancy rate. More than coincidence? (laughs) I wonder. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Kristen, what are we going to prescribe for Katrina hopscotch?
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, Katrina, what I want for you is to really feel that sense of, you know what? The wind is blowing in my hair. I have the tunes cranked up. I'm with some friends. Maybe I'm wearing something fabulous, like a scarf that blows out the window, something like that. And you know what movie really gives me that feeling? The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert from 1994.
1: Oh, yes. I remember this film. This is one of the first films I ever reviewed.
0: Really? Oh, my gosh. So you were reviewing films when you were only five or six years old, Rafer. Look at you. That's exactly right.
1: (laughs) I was a film critic prodigy. Thanks for saying that, Kristen.
0: (laughs) Now, for anyone who's not familiar with The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, it is an Australian comedy written and directed by Stephen Elliott. The plot follows two drag queens played by Hugo Weaving and Guy Pearce and a transgender woman played by Terrence Stamp as they journey across the Australian outback from Sydney to Alice Springs in a tour bus that they have affectionately named Priscilla. Along the way, they encounter friendly aboriginal people, unfriendly rural white people, and other folks who range from helpful to, unfortunately, homophobic. Here's a clip. Fuck off, you silly queer. I'm getting out of here. A desert holiday. Hip, 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 hooray. Why? Why not? Look, he's turned into a bloody good little performer. That's right.
1: A bloody good little performer. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I thought we were getting
0: away from all this shit. Two's company, three's a party, Bernadette, my sweet.
1: We're unplugging our curling ones and going bush, Felicia. Why would you possibly want to leave all this glamour for a hike into the middle of nowhere?
0: Do you really want to know? Desperate. Well, ever since I was a lad, I've had this dream. A dream that I now, finally, have a chance to fulfil. And that is... To travel to the centre of Australia, climb King's Canyon as a queen in a full-length Gautier sequin, heels and a tiara. That's just what this country needs. A cock in a frock on a rock. Oh, get back in your kennels,
1: both of you. I remember Terence Stamp got a huge amount of critical acclaim for this role. Um, You know, and this was back at a time when... You know, Terrence Stamp had, you know, he had been in um, the Superman movies. um, And, uh, but then he'd kind of faded, he'd kind of faded from view for a while. And this was sort of like a comeback for him. And everyone was reminded of how great he was. But I'd completely forgotten that
0: Hugo Weaving and Guy Pierce were in this movie. I'd totally forgotten that. Yes, yes. And it received so many accolades, not just for Terrence Stamp, but the costumes are out of this world. It was nominated for an Academy Award, it was nominated for many awards. received huge international box office. I mean, people around the world embraced this movie. And it was heralded by LGBT organizations at the time for a very positive depiction of transgender people, which hadn't really, I mean, with, with few exceptions, there just weren't that many depictions in big movies of transgender people before this.
1: No, that was, that was pretty much unheard of at the time.
0: Yeah. And and if they were in a movie, it was to be a punchline. Whereas here, right. we're talking very human characters here. And yes, sometimes they're wacky and sometimes they're funny and sometimes they're dramatic, but they are very much human and they're on a great adventure. They're meeting all sorts of people. There are moments where they're just driving out into the big, wide open world and the desert goes on forever. And there are other points where they're driving through small towns. They're seeing everything there is to see on that great continent of Australia. And, you know, sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's really tough. But Katrina, I hope you check it out and Feel the big wide world waiting for you after you see this. I hope you get into your car and drive to Australia. Yeah. (laughs) Wherever you are. We don't know where you are.
1: (laughs) Well, I don't advise driving overseas uh, early on in your driving career. I'd wait a little bit on that one.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you're in New Zealand, I know it seems close, but that's still a distance. That's right. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) But, Reefer, what about you? What are you going to prescribe to Katrina Hopscotch? Well,
1: I went kind of cornball. On mine. Uh, oh, I, you know I love some cornball. That's true. Uh, well, all right. <laughs> I went all the way back to 1968 for the Love Bug, the Walt Disney movie about Herbie the Love Bug.
0: Adorable. Oh.
1: I know. I know. I love the Herbie movies. Um, th- so this was. Uh, This was uh, the last live-action film that Walt Disney ever produced, Um, and he never saw its release. He died a couple years before it came out, but this was sort of the last uh, live-action movie that kind of had the the personal Walt Disney stamp on it, Um, and it's about a a down-and-out race car driver named Jim. He's living in San Francisco, and he's kind of eking out a living doing demolition derbies, which he feels is beneath him, and he's racing against these like dopey kids who are half his age, and he's pretty miserable. So he's destroyed his most recent car in the demolition derby, and now he needs some wheels. So he buys himself a cheap old 1963 Volkswagen Bug, the kind that would today cost you like, you know, twenty or $30,000. <laughs> um, but back then, it was just, you know, kind of a junker. And he takes it home, and the thing drives terribly. You know, he can barely steer it. He can barely brake. It seems just out of control. It, in fact, if Jim didn't know better, this car, he would say this car had a mind of its own. And of course... <laughs> That turns out to be exactly the case. Here's a clip. This is very embarrassing.
0: Yes, it is. I would have preferred knowing you a little longer first. Just a minute. You don't for one solitary instant dare to think that I drove you here on purpose. Oh, don't try to explain. The point is you brought me here. (laughs) I did not bring you here. It's this nasty little car. You said yourself earlier, it's a very nice little car.
1: And as you said before, it does have some peculiar traits, and I agree with you completely. As a matter of fact, bring it in tomorrow and I'll find a replacement for you.
0: I don't want the car replaced. As a matter of fact, I'm beginning to like it. Oh! Don't panic. Don't panic. There must be some place I can call a taxi. Oh, the love bug. Who knows? Is he going to end up loving that bug or not? The title doesn't tell me what's going to happen, Rafer. How will you know? How will
1: you know? You'll have to see the film. Um, (laughs) I know this is kind of an uncool thing to say, but I've always loved the Walt Disney version of the counterculture.
0: (laughs) Yes. You know? Oh my God! Like the beatniks, or oh my God, the Walt
1: Disney version, so cute. The jazz cats and the Aristocats—that's one of my favorite scenes (laughs) in all Disney movies. I just love that. And here, of course, it's the hippie counterculture. You know, they're they're not quite they're not quite hippie hippies, but you know, the, Herbie is, you know, the Volkswagen bug was already kind of the flower power car by that point. Uh, and there is a character in the movie named Tennessee who is basically a hippie. He's an artist who makes sculptures out of car parts and he studied Eastern philosophy and he's the one <laughs> I right, because, you know, man, it was hip, you know? And, um, he's the one who believes in animism, the idea that objects have souls and he's the one who realizes that Herbie is alive. Um, and And it's kind of funny because he's played by Buddy Hackett, who is like as far from a hippie as like (laughs) Roddy Dangerfield is. Um, Anyway, you know, this is a time tested formula. It's really just one of those cute stories about a boy and his dog. But this time the dog is a car and the car is really adorable. (laughs) And, you know, supposedly Disney, Walt Disney himself chose the the bug out of a bunch of different, you know, makes and models because people on his staff fell in love with it. They just kind of warmed to the car. And that kind of made me think, like, when I was growing up, I don't know if people do this anymore, but when I was growing up, people named their cars. Like, right? Yes. Dean's new
0: car is named Betty White. She is a white car. I love it. And she's one of those very... um, safe and not very stylish Subarus. Yeah. So Tina Fey recently gave an interview where they recently bought like their first car and it's exactly the same car we have. And she says, I just wanted a car that was safe and looked like a nurse's shoe. Oh. And that's what Betty White looks like. She looks like a nurse's that's shoe. Awesome. Yes. <laughs>
1: oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that people name their cars still because I always thought that was a really nice thing to do. Um <laughs> So I think that's what I like about this movie. I'm I'm hoping that the love bug will give our listener the warm fuzzies about your car, your new car. Maybe you can sort of build a relationship with it, turn it into <laughs> kind of a pet, you know? And um, I think- I just kind of think it's nice to have sort of a, a, a relationship with your car. And then later on, Katrina, you can when you get comfortable, you can watch things like The Road Warrior oh, no. and, you know, um, The Transporter and all the all the great car crash movies. But that's no. later. That's later. No,
0: stay far away <laughs> also from Mad Max, by the way, please.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So our recommendations once again from me, the love bug, and from Kristen, the adventures of Priscilla,
0: Queen of the Desert. All right, we're going to take a quick break. But before we do, thank you, everyone who continues to review us and give us five stars in Apple Podcasts. For example, Lexington Eli Sr. recently gave us five stars and wrote, my new favorite podcast. I love Rafer and Kristen and their movie and TV recs. This podcast makes me so happy and is the perfect thing for my mood right now. Well, thank you, Lexington Eli Sr. Lexington Eli Sr. That's quite a name. Yeah, I love it. It, it feels like you should be in charge of a small nation, and the nation <laughs> is made up entirely of like lollipops and puppies. I love it. <laughs> That's
1: right. I love it. And there's a junior out there somewhere, I have to assume. Yes. <laughs> okay, stay with us. When we're back, we'll tackle a letter from someone who's worried about her very competitive son.
0: everybody. We are back with our second letter of the week. Rafer, take it away. Okay. This
1: one comes from Concerned Baseball Mom, and she writes, My 13-year-old son is a passionate and determined baseball player, but he's having difficulty combining his determination and desire to win with motivating his teammates, who are also his closest friends. He's upset that they don't share his drive to practice daily, as he does himself, and he communicates his frustrations in a negative and ineffective manner. Besides talking to him ourselves about it being okay to have strong feelings, but knowing how and when to share these feelings with others, my husband and I have suggested he speak to a sports therapist. He immediately refused, but did say he would think about it. Can you recommend some movies or TV shows that might help my son with this particular difficulty?
0: Oh, concerned baseball mom. Man. Yeah. I bet there are a lot of parents like you in the world who just, you know, you're dealing with kids who are still learning to strike the right balance between loving this game versus, you know, being tyrants in the game. Um, I can say as someone who played team sports for many, many years growing up, that there were always some kids like that. Some who would take losing very, very seriously. It would really be... Uh, absolutely anger-making, devastating, and so on. And I'll say that on the flip side, there were always those parents who took it too seriously too. So, Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So Concerned Baseball Mom, I really want to say thank you for not being one of those parents because yes. those parents are so tough. When I was playing softball and soccer growing up and doing track and field, I, oh gosh, there was always that one dad or that one uncle or that, oh God, the one mom who yells too much. And it's just like, settle down. Yep. We're trying to play here. Oh Yeah. I'm only doing this because my parents want me to do something other than watch TV. So that's why I'm in the sport. (laughs) What did you play, Um, Kristen? So I only played up until my freshman year of high school. But when I was younger, I did – first I did gymnastics. Then I did um, softball and soccer for many, many, many years. And I briefly did a little bit of track and field. And then when I was in high school, my parents said, you can quit now. You don't have to do this anymore. I was like, great. (laughs) I don't want to. I want to go back to watching TV. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> and look at you now.
0: Yes. See, it all worked out in the end. What about you, Rafer? Did you play sports? Do your kids play sports?
1: No, I never played any sports. Um, in fact, the only time I ever played a sport, I, I, um, some friends of mine were saying, you know, because I'm, I'm kind of tall, like I'm I'm six 6'3", and my friends would always, would always say, people would always say, you should play basketball, you should play basketball. And I'm terrible at all sports. And some friends of mine um, finally said, you should, you know, let. we're going to play some basketball. You should play. And I said, OK, I think you're going to be sorry, but I'm going to play and I'm going to give it my absolute best shot. And I swear to you, I swear to God, I was probably 40 at the time. I swear to you, I gave it my absolute best shot. And when it was all done, they said, OK, you don't have to play basketball anymore. That was that was fine. <laughs> Good enough. You did that once. No more. Oh, um <laughs> and, my kid, well, and my kids don't exactly take after me, but my um, oldest son, William, is quite good at tennis, but he doesn't care that much about it. Mm. Like so he's you know and he's like he's pretty good, but he doesn't care that much about it, and the other thing I will say about concerned baseball mom, my guess is that her son is probably pretty good mm-hmm. um the you know the ki- the kids who are and I think it's easy for the kids who are really good to get frustrated, that other other kids aren't as good and aren't trying to be as good. I totally get that, but i I agree with her she's right that it's something that he's that that her son is going to have to try to manage in some way.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I would say if I were on a baseball team with your son, he would be so mad at me. Yeah. Because I know I, I still remember some of the gals who took it really, really seriously, softball or soccer, and they took it so seriously. And people like me who are like, I'm kind of clumsy. Maybe if I'm lucky, I'll catch that ball. I don't know. And I just like to run around. I love running in circles. And, you know, Maybe there's a plane overhead and I accidentally was looking at the plane instead of the ball. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Anyhow, that means, yeah, I, I agree, Rafer. That probably means that concerned baseball mom has a son who's very good at the sport. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, so well, so I was thinking about
1: this um, and part and part of the part of the idea of of the fact i 'm assuming that her kid 's pretty good at it is what made me think of this movie that i 'm going to recommend, which is one of my favorites. I think you like this movie too kristen it 's Blades of glory from two thousand and seven
0: you know how much I love this movie. I love this movie so much. I'm already a figure skating fan. That's right. You are. That's right. Um, I love figure skating. I love watching figure skating. I used to, you know, figure skate a little bit as a kid. But you know, when I first heard the premise of this movie, I wasn't sure. But oh boy, is it a hoot. It is so funny. I'll I'll let you explain what it is, Rafer. I was the same way. I was a little dubious
1: about it. Uh okay, so uh this is the story of two uh famous men's figure skaters. Uh they don't they clearly couldn't put the Olympics in this film. Uh they couldn't get that uh, the rights to do that apparently. So they just called it the World Games. Uh so they're famous in the World Games. Uh one is Jimmy McElroy. He's a kind of a delicate prima donna type. Uh, He likes to wear costumes with sequins and feathers. He's played by John Hedder. The other is Chaz Michael Michaels, kind of a bad boy hair metal type who wears unitards with flames around the sides. And he is, of course, played by Will Ferrell. Well, these two hate each other's guts. And during the World Games, they get into a fistfight that causes so much havoc, they are stripped of their medals and banned from figure skating for life. And so they're very depressed, they're down, their careers are over. But someone gets an idea. They may be banned from competing as solo skaters, but what if they compete as a team? What if they could become the first same-sex skating couple in World Games history? And here's a clip. Could one of y'all pass me a biscuit? You got another five miles, then you get a Luna bar. Come on.
0: So, coach... I was thinking about the music for our routine, Right. Really? We're
1: gonna skate to one song, one song only. Lady Humps by the Black Eyed Peas. What you gonna do with all that junk, all that junk inside my trunk? I'm gonna get you, get you
0: drunk, get you drunk off my lady hump my, hump, my hump, my hump, my lovely lady hump. I'm not skating to anything with references to lady humps? I don't even know what that means. No
1: one knows what it means, but it's provocative. No, it's not. as. gets well. the people going. It's that's yeah. enough! Why do you guys <laughs> keep doing that? This is one of my favorite Will Ferrell movies. It's right up there with Talladega Nights for me. Um, And I think one reason I like it is because it is PG-13. It's not R. And so I can show it to my kids who, of course, really liked it. Um, Like you, Kristen, my, my concern was that the whole movie would be one big gay panic joke, yes. you know, yeah. and there is, and there is some of that because these guys do have to do these very intimate routines and in certain positions and things. Um, but I have to say the humor is sort of at their expense, you know, their uptightness is sort is what's yes. being kind of ribbed here. Uh, and, um, you know, honestly, I, I I, I tend to sort of snicker at some of the positions that male and female skating skating couples do on the ice during the Olympics myself. I just have kind of a juvenile sense of humor, I guess. But everyone's great in it. Uh, Will Arnett, Amy Poehler, as the skating Von Waldenberg siblings, they're fantastic. The villain skaters. The villain skaters. Um, they're brother and sister, but they have kind of a slightly inappropriate relationship, and they do some very inappropriate skating routines as well, which are brilliant and hilarious. Um, but the message the message of the movie... I think might be what Concerned Baseball Mom is looking for, because Jimmy and Chaz are both used to doing everything by themselves. It, it, their, their whole careers have been about me, 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 and having the spotlight all to themselves. They can't share it. And of course, that's why they hate each other. But then when they're forced to be a team, they have to share, they have to sacrifice, they have to support each other, sometimes literally, sometimes physically support mm-hmm. each other. And that's what they learn. And it's all done in a very funny way. Lots of slapstick, lots of absurd humor. It's a Will Ferrell mu- movie, obviously. So I was kind of thinking it, that might be a good way to sugar the pill. You know, there is kind of a serious, valuable lesson in the movie, but it's cloaked in all this ridiculous, you know, insane comedy. Um So hopefully that might be just a ticket for a 13-year-old boy. Yes. All right. So Kristen... What's your prescription? Actually, I, I know your prescription, and it's an interesting choice. Tell us about it.
0: Well, I went a little bit more literal. So I chose a baseball movie about young boys, and um, that's about as literal as it gets. I chose The Sandlot from 1993. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't watch the sequels. It's It turned into a giant franchise. Oh, I didn't know that, actually. Oh, don't watch the sequels. Don't do that. But maybe the original will work for you. So the original Sandlot centers on a smart, shy fifth grader named Scott Smalls. He moves with his mom and stepdad to the Los Angeles suburbs in the 1960s. And he tries to befriend a group of local boys who play baseball every day in a Sandlot. But, you know, he's embarrassed by his inability to catch or throw a ball. He's not very coordinated. And nonetheless, he is invited to join the team, despite his shortcomings, by the leader and the best player, Benny Rodriguez. Here is a clip. You ever have a paper out? I helped a guy once. Okay. Well, tuck it like you would throw a paper. When your arm gets here, just let go. Just let go. It's that
1: easy. How do I catch it?
0: Just stand there and stick your glove out in the air. I'll take care of it.
1: About time, Benny. My claws are going out
0: of style.
1: They already are, squids. Shut up. Told you, Benny. Smalls, throw it to second. Okay! Now, Kristen, I'm going to admit to you, I don't like this movie that much. But I I will say this. When uh, sort of early on in my uh, career as a dad who was trying to show movies to his kids and find stuff that was appropriate and family friendly, I kept coming across this movie. Um, it was in every list. It was in every algorithm. It kept showing up everywhere. I had never heard of it. And it was this movie that seemed to have like been released and then just disappeared, or I'm not even sure what kind of theatrical release it got, uh, back in the nineties. Um, but somehow this movie has gotten this sort of, um, large yet unknown cult following amongst families, uh, amongst parents, um, who just love it. And so, I, you know, even though I didn't care for it that much, um, uh, we did watch it. My kids did like it. uh, And it just, it seems like one of these movies that just like found an audience and found an audience that really and truly loves it.
0: Yeah. And I'm going to just confess here, Rafer The Sandlot's not my favorite movie either. It really isn't. Uh, It peddles in nostalgia. It's kind of heavy-handed. It's a little corny. A lot of people say it's a lesser version of a Christmas story um, centered around baseball instead of Christmas. And I totally understand all those criticisms. And yet, tweens and younger seem to enjoy it. And the reason I'm really prescribing it is because of that character, Benny. Benny Rodriguez, who is the leader of the Sandlot baseball guys, he's such a talented player. And if he wanted to, he could just yell at Scott Smalls, get away from us. We don't want losers playing. We only want talented people because Benny Rodriguez is that good that he could, if he wanted to, just boss around everybody else. Why don't you practice more? Why don't any of you play as good as I do? But instead, he actually comes right out and says, it's just a game. We're doing this to have fun. We're playing. We're here with friends. That's a good point. I'd forgotten about I'd
1: forgotten about that, and that's a that's a good point about that character. That's a very that's a very nice point that I'd forgotten about in that
0: movie. Yeah, and he is so likable. He's clearly the hero of the movie. He's the one who Scott Smalls wants to be when he grows up. Um, yeah, and you get to see what happens to Benny Rodriguez later in the story. What happens to him after he's this nice kid who plays baseball with his friends in the Sandlot? And I won't give any spoilers away, but I will say this. Playing below his level didn't make him less successful later in life. And if anything, it just made him a happier person with more friends later on. And so I hope that that's something that your son will watch, concerned baseball mom, and maybe think, I could be like Benny Rodriguez. I could be like that kid instead. Jeez, Kristen! Now you're making me want to rewatch the movie. I'm <laughs> not saying it's a perfect movie, Rafer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know, but I think these are really good points. It's a, it's a good recommendation. Oh, good. Oh, I'm glad you think so. You did not sound like you were on board initially.
1: <laughs> I, I wasn't, but I, I feel like you really, you really, you pulled me around, Kristen. Good,
0: good. <laughs> so once again, our recommendations are from Rafer. The Outstanding and Glorious Blades of Glory from 2007, and for me, The Sandlot from 1993.
1: All right, we're going to take one more quick break. But first, do you need some movie therapy? Visit our website, raferandkristin.com, and fill out the contact form. You don't have to use your real name.
0: And if you have not yet done so already, join the conversation on our Facebook community. That's facebook.com slash groups slash When we're back, we'll tackle our What Should I Watch Next Letter of the Week.
1: You can spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and get more time to actually play the games you love with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. We're back, and it's time for this week's What Should I Watch Next letter. Kristen, take it away.
0: All right. This letter comes from Not So Scaredy Cat. Not So Scaredy Cat writes Dear Rafer and Kristen, for years I've avoided all media that could possibly be classified as horror, thriller, or even a little bit scary. However, Recently, I've been trying to push my comfort zone, and I'm realizing that I actually really like a good mystery and moderate levels of suspense, so long as there isn't too much gratuitous gore and violence. So far, I've found that I've really enjoyed dark comedies, specifically the series Search Party, and movies with really rich storytelling like Parasite. I would appreciate your recommendations of movies that are suspenseful and mysterious, but not super scary. What should I watch next?
1: Well, uh, first of all, welcome to the wonderful world of horror.
0: Yes, welcome.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's a great genre. It's a fantastic genre. Uh, When done right, I just think it's one of the most fun experiences at the movies Ever. I know you like a good scary
0: movie, Kristen. Oh, I do. But I I got introduced way too young. I had older step-siblings. Who's a baby? You can't sit and watch Amityville Horror. Who's a baby? You're eight. You can't watch this and stay up with us, can you? Yes, oh, I no. can. I can too. I can watch it. And then Nightmares for the next, I don't know, 12 to 18 years. Yeah. Oh, poor there you. There was a lot of that going on in my house growing up. And then... um, Yeah. Eventually, I came to really enjoy them. And some of those movies that scared the Dickens out of me when I was younger, I've rewatched since then. I'm like, oh, that's not that scary, actually. I just didn't understand what was going on. I was too young. (laughs) And now I think they can be a great thrill. Rafer, I know you hate sitting next to me at horror movies because I scream too much. Oh, Um, I don't hate it. I always enjoyed that. It was fun. I'm always worried I'm going to blow out your eardrums because I scream (laughs) so much. So scared, but I really enjoy it. It's a it, it's a thrill. I I don't mean to make it sound like I need to get out of this theater. I just I enjoy the thrill.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, me too. I love scary movies, and I'm always uh, I have to kind of curb myself from forcing my kids to watch scary movies. I'm all, I'm always like the.
0: You're like my older step siblings. Yeah, I am
1: kind of. I'm so, <laughs> I, I sometimes feel like I have become a, sort of a sinister figure where I'm where I'm always saying like, "Don't you
0: want to watch The Shining? Don't you?" <laughs> Don't you want to watch Alien? I think uh, you really want to see The Exorcist. The original rated X version. Yes. I know.
1: That one I that one I'm not pushing because of course of the crucifix scene and all that stuff. But um <laughs> yeah. you know, but uh well, so I uh, I I have I have a recommendation and I don't know uh, my my tolerance for what's suspenseful and scary might be a little higher. But uh, I do have a recommendation of what I feel like is kind of a good starter scary movie. And, and this is also one that I've been wanting to show my kids. Or I guess I should say, actually, this is the sequel to uh, a, a movie that you and I both liked uh, quite a bit. I'm talking about A Quiet Place Part 2, which is in theaters mm. now. It just came out. Yes. Um, and I've been really thinking about showing my kids this one, even though they haven't seen the first, because I do think it could work. As a standalone film, Um, you know, maybe the best thing to do is start with Quiet Place, which you have suggested on the podcast before. Yes. Kristen. Anyway, uh, a a little backstory. So in the original Quiet Place, uh, the world had been invaded by alien monsters who are blind, but who hunt people using sound. They have this very exquisitely fine-tuned sense of hearing. And so that's how they hunt people. Um, Hence the name of the movie a Quiet place, uh, and our heroes were the Abbott family, who were the kind of seemed to be the only ones left in, in the world and they 'd survived by staying absolutely quiet, not wearing shoes. They play board games using little pieces of foam they 've built themselves a sand path outside so that they can walk silently from place to place, and they had an advantage because their daughter Reagan is deaf, uh, so the whole family already knew sign language uh, so in part two. We get to see a couple of things. Uh, first of all, we rewind back to the first day of the alien invasion so we know how it started. But then we also pick up where the last film left off, and now we see Reagan and a former neighbor, Emmett, uh, played by uh, Killian Murphy, and they're venturing out together to find the source of a mysterious radio signal. Here's a
0: clip. I don't know why he came all the way up here. There's nothing.
1: People had finally given up hope.
0: Ooh. Reefer, did you see this in the theater? I did. Oh my god, why didn't you bring me? I, oh, I'm so mad at I you. Brought why you, didn't huh? you bring oh, me? I'm sorry, Kristen. Oh, yeah. Rafer.
1: I've seen a couple films in theaters recently. I've seen this, I've seen Cruella, and I'm going to see oh. uh, F9 this week. Yes. Oh, Rafer. Yes. Man. I know. I feel like I'm living the dream again. Yeah, it's been <laughs> oh, it's been amazing and this was a great great film to see on the big screen. Um, you know, the so the the first the first movie was uh, uh, directed by John Krasinski. This one is He uh, he was in the first one. Emily Blunt plays his wife. She who is his real life wife as well. Um, The actress uh, uh, Millicent Simmons, who plays Reagan, is deaf uh, in real life. And then you've got Noah Jupe, who plays the oldest son. Um, You might recognize his face. He's been in a bunch of stuff. He's been in Suburbicon and Wonder. Um, Anyway. This sequel may not be quite as strong as the first film. You know, you kind of have two stories. It's basically the, the the road trip to find out the source of the signal. And then you've got whatever's happening back at the ranch, so to speak. But Krasinski is actually like a really good director. And he uh, keeps the pace really tight. And this is a movie that's basically, and this is why I recommend it. It's basically just white knuckle moments the whole time. As you probably remember from the first mm-hmm. one, very similar, right? You're just you're just gripping the armrest, waiting to see if someone's going to make a noise, if they're going to step wrong, if they're going to knock over that <laughs> coffee cup. There's always some figure lurking in the background. They're all about tension and suspense. They're rated PG, so there's not A lot of gore. In fact, I don't. I don't really think there's any real what you'd call blood or or guts or gore at all. You know that you will see someone get you know jumped by an alien here and there, but no one's head is being ripped off, and the aliens are very scary, and they get you know stabbed and impaled and things like that. But it's not gushy, gross alien goopy stuff. Um, In that sense, that's why I say I think these movies are. Almost like kid friendly. Uh, and I find them, frankly, I find them more tasteful in terms of violence than the Transformers movies are. The Transformers mm. movies, there's always like a robot ripping off a robot head and like motor oil <laughs> gushing out. And I always <laughs> kind of feel like gross. Um, so, so I liked, I liked this movie a lot. It's a, it's a great movie to see in the theaters, especially for your, like your first time back. It's just, it really uses sound obviously in this great way. It's just great to see it on the big screen. Um, there's a guy I know on Long Island, a guy named Phil Solomon. I want to give him a little shout out. He owns the, uh, the PJ cinemas in Port Jefferson. And we were talking recently because he's about to reopen his theater And he said, um, he said, I'm depending on you to give every movie an extra half star in your reviews (laughs) so that you will pull people back to the theaters. And um, I got to say, I'm almost tempted because I really want to see people back in the theaters. And this is a great place to start. Um, You know, go see Quiet Place uh, Part 2. Help bring the movies back. And I think you'll have a great time.
0: Mm. I just hope it's not too scary for our letter writer here.
1: I hope not. Uh, you, th- you, think it, you think it might be a little too much for her?
0: Well, what you were saying, well, you have a white knuckle moment that lasts the entire movie. That's, I, I hope that's not too scary for our listener. I hope not. <laughs> you could be right. I... All right. Well, listen,
1: uh, not so scaredy cat if I've steered you wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, but Kristen, how about you?
0: Well, I was really focused on how Not So Scaredy Cat really liked Parasite. And I was thinking, yeah, what other thrillers are out there that are really about social commentary? Because let's be real, yeah. Parasite is not just about... Spoilers coming, people who are trapped in a basement, right. or uh, somebody else who's secretly living under the stairs, or about violence happening in scary, shocking ways right Parasite is also very deeply about probably more than any of those things. Parasite is about class, yeah. and it's about who lives on top, who lives on the bottom, How do you get out of the bottom if you are on the bottom? Yep. Uh, can you ever escape that? And those are the real horrors in the movie, right right, and so thinking about that, I thought, oh. Another movie, one of the originals to really do this well in American cinema, was The Stepford Wives in 1976. Of
1: course, right. Uh, That's the movie that inspired Get Out, the Jordan Peele film.
0: Absolutely, yes. Now, I just want to make clear, I'm not talking about the remake of the Stepford Wives. I'm not talking about the one with Nicole Kidman. But the original Stepford Wives is what I'm talking about here based on the book. And if you're not familiar with it, it centers on Joanna. She is an aspiring photographer, an independent thinker. And uh, she's loving her life in Manhattan, but her husband, Walter, wants to move to the suburbs. And so they do to an idyllic Connecticut suburb called Stepford. But once they get there, even though Walter seems to be enjoying it, Joanna's not. She's very lonely. She's having a really hard time meeting friends. All the women in Stepford, they just seem focused on doing housework and looking flawless. They don't really have any intellectual interests at all. Meanwhile, the men of Stepford, they all belong to this really weird, exclusionary local men's club. And Walter, of course, joins as well, much to Joanna's dismay. And Joanna's just having a really hard time of it. She does eventually meet a couple of interesting women who do seem to have, you know, more interest beyond housekeeping. And she tries to start a women's organization with them. But things I'm just going to say here, they don't go well with that either. I didn't bake anything yesterday. It took me so long to get the upstairs floor to shine. I didn't have any time to bake. Well, you don't have to bake, kid. There's no law. Hell, Ed's lucky if I remember to keep him in white bread. (laughs) Easy-on
1: spray starch. Hmm. It must save me half an hour a day at least. You'll never run short of time again, I guarantee
0: it. I've just been tempted so many times to try (laughs) easy-on. I'm not trying to be a leader or anything, but we're not supposed to delve quite so specifically into housework. Easy On's really that good, is it?
1: Is it that good? Well, if time is your enemy, make friends with Easy On. That's all I can tell you. It's so good that if ever I became famous and the Easy On people asked me, would I do a commercial,
0: not only would I do it, I'd do it for free. That's how good it is.
1: Holy cow. I saw this movie as a kid on TV and you was did? yes and I was just mesmerized by it and I thought it was so funny and freaky and um I just I I loved the twist I loved everything about it it's a it's the kind of movie that they don't really make anymore I think because people sort of don't have the attention span for it it's a slow burn mm-hmm. it's a it's a you know it's very much like um Rosemary's Baby Really, it's a it's a it's a build, 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 build up to the the big reveal, the big ending. Um, And uh, I love that when it's done well, uh, it can really pull you through. And uh, this one's great. I, I always love this movie.
0: Yes, it really is. And not Scaredy Cat. Again, I just want to reiterate, this is not just about like, what's happening in this town? Is it haunted? But it's really a bigger question of what's happening in our society, what's happening with men, what's happening with women. What's happening with race and class separation and the suburbs? What's happening with the erasure of female ambition? What's happening with all of these different things? The movie is about all of that, too.
1: Yeah. Oh, you know, I just remembered uh, uh, we were talking about Rosemary's Baby. They were both written by the same author, by the same author Ira Levin. Yeah, they were, I'd forgotten they were both uh, based on books. Ira Levin uh, wrote both those books. Yeah. Oh. Um, maybe that explains why it's that sort of slow build.
0: That makes sense. It does.
1: Anyway, it's a it's a I love I love the original Stepford Stepford Wives. It's a that's a great film. So so this is good. We've got we've got uh, an old classic, and we've got uh, something something new. Our recommendations are from Kristen, the original Stepford Wives, and for me, A Quiet Place Part Two.
0: And, Rafer, that's it for this week's episode of Movie Therapy. I was just getting started. I know, me too. Getting that love bug, Rafer. <laughs> Drive back to the beginning of the show and let's start over.
1: <laughs> Thank you to everyone who
0: wrote in. We really appreciate it, as always. Thank you to the Airwave Network, which we are very proud to be a part of. You can find out more about Airwave and all the other great shows there at airwavemedia.com.
1: Until next time, I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks, everyone, for listening.
0: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.